Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. First Thessalonians 5, starting at verse 25 is where we'll be. We've come to the end of the, the first letter to the Thessalonian church, and we'll do something different when we get back from Peru, but wanted to make sure that we, we uh, came through the end of this. And I'm hoping that as you read through First Thessalonians, there will be increased richness as, as you come through it again and again. Probably you've heard of the book um, Eat, Pray, Love, or seen the movie, anybody? Um, well, this morning, instead of taking us into ourself, which is kind of the spirit of that book, the spirit of the age, as a matter of fact, this is uh, bringing us into communion with God and one another. I want to call it Pray, Love, Read. Pray, Love, Read, all right? So it's a little different. but um, And I think we're in a spiritual battle, and we don't even often know what that battle's about. And I want to talk about that at, at some point, but... Um, Let's look at Paul's instructions. These are the, those final instructions that sometimes we get to the end of the, the book and we've come through some maybe heavy stuff or some practical application and then we like read through the end of it real quick because we're at the very end and uh, those things don't matter so much, we think, but they do. They, there's something important to say in these last few verses. Look at verse 25 and we'll just read through the, the end of the book. If you've been here every Sunday that we've We've uh, talked about First Thessalonians. You've, you've read through the whole book um, with us. Verse 25 says, Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And we would sometimes just pass quickly through that section. But I want you to notice some things that are here. The first thing in verse 25 is, uh, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Pray for us. And uh, it, it matters more than it might appear at first that Paul says, pray for us. We might, we might just take that as that thing that's said a thousand times, uh, maybe a million times every week when you accumulate all the Christians around the world who are asking people to pray for them and the missionaries who are on the mission field and, and different people that are going through things that Pray for us. Pray for us. We we hear that again and again, but it's more important than it may seem at first. It seems like a very straightforward thing to say, and it is, that we're essentially asking somebody to talk to God on our behalf. Okay, When we break it down, that, that seems simple enough, doesn't it? But often, it's not as simple as that, or we don't let it be as simple as that. It It matters more to us than we know. And so, I don't know if you've thought about this, but um, asking somebody to pray for you takes humility. Okay, Do you, did you have you noticed that? And maybe not at first, but it, it takes uh, humility to ask somebody to pray for you. And something can seem like a very natural thing when somebody else does it, but it can be a very unnatural thing for us. So we hear Paul saying here pray for us, but maybe you've gotten to a point where it's hard for you to ask somebody for one reason or another, pray for me, pray for me. And maybe you felt even ashamed to ask for prayer, and you could even feel like it's a little bit beneath you, like I can pray for myself, why do I need somebody else praying for me? And so I want to deal with some of those thoughts this morning, and this is something I've noticed, it's not a rule, and there are a lot of exceptions to this, but maybe we could just call it a trend, we will you uh, think of it as a trend with me, is that new Christians ask people to pray for them. When we're new, uh, we feel like we need all the help we can get. Okay, I'm trying to serve God, and I need help. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And so we ask, but as time goes by, some, some people stop asking for people to pray for them. Okay, Paul's saying here, pray for us. And what is it that could cause somebody to stop asking? Why, why do we stop asking for people to pray for us? I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons, but maybe I'm going to mention four here. Maybe the first one is, is that we don't like to let people in. 
Hey, some people don't ask others to pray for them because then you have to reveal yourself a little bit, like what it is that you're you're struggling with. And like if you know that there's going to be prayer groups, you avoid that because somebody's going to ask you how you're doing. And if you don't like to let people in at that level, it can be a little bit of a, a thing where we put our hand out and we just keep people at bay a little bit. We don't want to let them know what we can really pray about. And so we come up with really surface kinds of prayer requests. Oh, you know, pray for the family and the dog's not doing well and my job or whatever it may be. We don't like to let people in. A second reason is that we think that asking displays weakness. Okay, that might sound ridiculous, but there's some truth to that is that when we ask, we are in a way we're we're admitting that we don't have it all together. And if we're at a, a, if we're a Christian of a certain age, spiritually, um, that could be a sign, to, or we think it could be, that something's wrong. Something's wrong with us that we don't have it all together by now. And so we don't ask people to pray for us. Or here's the one that I, I hear a lot, actually. We don't want to bother anyone. We don't want to bother anybody with our need. Hey, do you know God wants us to be bothers to each other with our needs? Not just brothers, bothers. Okay? He wants us to do that, but we don't. We often, like, I don't want to trouble anybody else with that. It, something's lost in fellowship in the body of Christ when we don't pray for each other. We need to do that, and it's not a bother. And then another one is that we think that prayer might not work for us. Okay? Prayer might not work for us. These aren't these aren't good reasons. Are you with me? I mean, if we're really to think honestly about it, these aren't really good reasons to ask for not asking for prayer. And if I'm to call it what it really is, it's really pride that we wouldn't ask somebody to pray. It's true when you think about it, right? Even even the thing that prayer doesn't work for me sounds very humble. Like I'm not deserving or it just doesn't work for me. But if it works for other people, why not you? Why are, why are, what's your circumstance that's so special that it can't work for you? See how it comes back to pride a little bit? Like, I'm so unique that God just doesn't work in that way with me. Well, he does. Okay? I, I know that this sounds crazy, what I'm about to tell you. But there are people out there nowadays that think that they don't need prayer because of the anointing on their life. Like, I don't need you to pray for me. I need to pray for you. You know what I mean? There's something wrong. <laughs> yeah, there's something wrong with that. Um, people that think that they don't need the prayer of Christians uh, who are not as far along as they are. And some think they don't need prayer since they're on this higher plane with Jesus. I'm on a higher plane with Jesus. I don't need to even pray at all. Okay? That sounds ridiculous, but it, it's out there. And... The really sad part is that they missed something because even Jesus himself prayed, right? And we, we've got the example of the Apostle Paul here saying at the end of his first letter, uh, maybe his first letter, Galatians could be uh, his first letter, but it's argued that Galatians or First Thessalonians, the, the first letter that he writes, and he's asking for prayer. And so prayer, if we're honest about it, is a challenge to our pride because we're admitting weakness and need. Yes, we are weak, but he is strong. Come on, true? So when we're asking for something, we're acknowledging that the only reason that this can hold together is because God is at work. Okay? And we need him to continue to be at work and to not only keep us at the status quo, but move us ahead. And anybody find besides me that being challenged to move is uncomfortable because we found our comfort zone. It's the last place that we've gotten more familiar with. Okay, and he wants to push us and shove us a little bit out of that, and he challenges us out of that. And so not only do we need prayer, because he's not asking us just to maintain. He's asking us to move forward. Remember, Peter's instruction is grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a call to growth, and uh, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that that every all of us grow up into him who is the head as each part does its work. And so prayer is needed. So Paul here writes 
as an apostle. Let's let's put this thing in perspective here. He's saying, uh, pray for us. That doesn't sound like a super spiritual thing to talk about on a Sunday morning. Like, that's a Wednesday night Bible study. But listen, this is important. Paul here, if we're looking at the picture, is an apostle. Okay? Right? He's an apostle. So he's anointed. He's commissioned by Jesus. He has already... He already has God's endorsement. He's been a Christian at least most of a decade at the point of writing this. Um, and he says, pray for us. And he not only asks in First Thessalonians, probably one of his first letters, but at least one of his later letters, and two of them, as a matter of fact, come from the prison epistles, Ephesians and Colossians. He says then, 15 years approximately later, pray for us. So he hasn't changed. He hasn't gotten too big for his britches. He hasn't grown out of a need for prayer. He hasn't stopped asking people to pray for him as if I've got it all together or I don't want to bother them. No, he puts it right in his letter. Pray for us. So there's a continued need for him to do that. Okay, He's an apostle. He's started churches. He's written inspired letters. He's been caught up into the third heaven where he witnessed mysteries that he couldn't even talk about. He's performed miracles, including... Raising the dead. Remember when that guy fell asleep while he was preaching? Fell out of the window and died? That's a warning. <laughs> no. Jesus, uh, excuse me, Jesus did the healing work. Paul, yeah, Paul went down and it says he embraced him. Life came back into his body. He prayed and the guy was raised from the dead. We even know his name, Eutychus, right? And so this is the apostle who's asking for prayer. So if you're not asking for prayer, what have you done that's so special that you don't need prayer? And if that tone sounds a little snarky, um, it's not against you. I just want to challenge a lie. Okay, and the lie is that we don't we don't need prayer at any we've gotten too big for prayer, we've gotten too mature, we've gotten too advanced, too anointed for prayer. No. Not only do we need to pray ourselves, we need other people praying for us. And so he asked them to pray. You can almost hear the satanic whisper in it. You don't need prayer. You don't need prayer. Not in what Paul says, but in that lie. But not only does Paul ask them to pray, but let's put the letter in context. He's writing to a group of Christians. He's been forced out probably a few weeks earlier of a town where he spent three weeks ministering the gospel and preaching and building a church. And so these Christians, probably, you could say, they're less than six months old and maybe less than a year old, or at least less than a year old. And Paul, this great apostle, is asking the newbies to pray for him. So let's never get to the point where we go, I don't need your prayers, you need mine. Okay, This is Paul saying, pray for me, uh, brothers and sisters, in this. So there's a, a great help in the prayer of others. We don't know until things uh, unseen are made visible the impact that prayer has had on our world. You can sometimes see the repercussion of, of how, and, and many times, the repercussions of prayer. Okay, but how many of us, you've prayed for something, and then you were surprised to find out later that it had been answered and you didn't even realize it at first? Anybody? Okay, God just works in that way, and there's things that were being prayed about that we don't know because we didn't experience the other side of that. Like, for example, um, <laughs> somebody's praying that you kept saved, and that morning you just can't find your keys. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And, like, if you had found them just a few minutes earlier, you would have passed through an intersection where you've got T-bone. You know, I'm just making up a hypothetical, but do you understand that there could be things like that that have happened in our life? We don't know why, but somebody was praying for us, and it preserved or it shifted what might have been because of prayer. Okay, And we don't know the inner workings. We get to heaven, maybe it'll be peeled back. And I, I was thinking of what this might look like. I don't know what I did, but one time, maybe you've done this too, when I was working on my computer, I either hit a keystroke or used my mouse in a certain way, and all of a sudden, my screen, like the bottom of my program, lifted up, and you could see the code that was behind the program. Anybody know what? Has that happened to anybody else? Okay. So I don't know. I don't know even know how I got it undone. But what occurs to me in that moment is this Windows thing that we're operating in. If it's, sorry, Dean. He's like, I'm a Mac guy over here. Whatever it is, your Windows operating system or your Mac operating system, 
that is a facade, and there's a lot of stuff going on behind it, okay, right? And so that code is helping things to be accomplished that as we're, you know, running around carelessly clicking with our mouse, there are things that are happening as a result of that. Maybe you've opened up a wall before, and you realize this thing that you've normally seen as a flat surface of color, there's a whole bunch of things behind it that are doing stuff, like holding up the ceiling, and you don't think about that because it's not seen. Or maybe this one, I, this probably happened to you um, if you've ever gone bowling. Um, there's, you know, you think of it as a simple game of knock down the pins. Um, but underneath is the complicated workings of the pin setter and the ball return. Anybody know what I'm talking about? One time the ball got jammed in the ball return. And this guy came out from the shoe desk. Those guys, they got a lot of knowledge. They don't just get you the right shoes. I would, I know this isn't the message, but I like those shoes. And if it were acceptable, I might wear bowling shoes. Not ones that have been pre-worn. I'm going to buy them fresh from the factory. Anyway, back to the message here. Commercial for New Brunswick. Um, But this guy came out from behind the desk, and he lifted off this plastic facade over the ball return. And there were conveyor belts, and there were spinning wheels. I think I saw the UPS guy and Santa Claus down there. All kinds of stuff going on that you don't see from the surface. You don't always see what's happening. And I think prayer is kind of like that. It works behind the scenes. And I'm certain that people praying for me have made a big difference in my life. How about you? Um, if anything good has come from my life, it's connected to people praying. And I think of my mom praying for me. I think God's still honoring her prayers, though she's been gone for a while. And so let me take a moment here to say, pray for me. Pray for me. I, I feel the weight of the responsibility that I have. And ask other people to pray for you. Because that's what Paul is doing right here as he's closing this letter to these brand new Christians. He's encouraged them, but then he's asked them, pray for me. And that gives dignity to the one who's doing the praying. And I think um, God is doing that. It's a solemn promise, too, by the way. If you say you're going to pray for someone, they're counting on it. And it's a sad thing because that's like one of the most powerful things you can do for somebody is pray for them. And if you said you're going to do it, then you don't do it. They're counting on the fact that you're praying for them. Like they're going to the heat of battle. And if you've not prayed that prayer, God can work, right? He can work despite the fact that some people don't pray. Um, John Wesley might have something else to say about that. But uh, I think he does continue to work. But he works also, and he's promised to work in answer to prayer. So let's pray for one another. Pray. Love. That's the second one here. Um, I'm going to read to you. This is that verse 26 says, greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. Okay. It doesn't say love your neighbor there, but it's getting to that. Okay. Greet one another with a holy kiss. What is that talking about? You're going to think this is weird for a few moments, but I'm going to ask you to hang on and it's, I'm going to let you off the hook after a few minutes of this. But I wanted to read to you the lyrics of a theme song from an old show. Some of you will know it. And you're going to wonder why I'm reading it in church. And so before I read it, I want to tell you why I'm reading it. And, and I think the, the reason I'm reading it is I think it describes really well what a lot of people are looking for. Okay, You probably already know where I'm going with this. Um, making your way in the world today takes everything you got. And then it goes on to talk about the more you worry, it sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Okay, Anybody know where I'm going? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You want to go where people know that people are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Okay, That's the themes, the lyrics to the theme song for Cheers, a TV show about going to the bar. Okay, uh, In case you don't know those lyrics, that's what it is. Um, and if you thought you heard me say in that, that church should be like a bar, I didn't. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is that church should meet the needs better than a bar does. Okay? That you want to go where people know your name. 
You want to go where you share common troubles with one another. You pray for one another. You're there for one another. It doesn't say all that in the song. But the activities at a bar are far different, but the yearning that sometimes causes people to go to a bar is the same. Because we're seeking a place of acceptance and being known. If the church could do better at that, I'm not trying to put condemnation. I, I think there's something really special here. Um, but I think if we did this the way that God wants us to in a pure way, I think it probably would take more and more people out of the world, and then they're going to find that what the world is really looking for, the church has. Okay. So I want you to know this part here, greet one another with a holy kiss is an imperative, okay? An imperative means it's a command. There's there's a wish, there's a form of verb in Greek that's for wishes, and there's a form of Greek that suggests the possibility of something. This is not those. It's not like I wish you guys would all get on board and greet one another with a holy kiss. No, this is a command, a command to greet one another with a holy kiss. Are you uncomfortable with that yet? It's an imperative, and it has the weight here of an apostolic command. And when, when they were with one another, as the church, they were to kiss each other. Okay, greeting time was found in the Bible. It looked a little different, apparently. I didn't. I didn't see. I, I heard you talking. I saw handshakes and hugs. I didn't see any kissing. You did get a kiss, Evelyn. Evelyn gets to. Oh, <laughs> two people in our church are following the injunction here today. Yeah, that's funny. Thank you for sharing that. That just made my day. <laughs> All right, so he, let, listen, this is about to get weird, not because of that. Okay, that's good. Because in the Bible days, it was not uncommon to kiss on the mouth. Yeah, that's weird. I feel weird saying that. But that was really a cultural thing, and it, it didn't have anything romantic to do with it. Okay, Some of the way we approach life looks differently, and, and many times we take for granted that the way our culture is is how every other culture has been through the history, no matter what their language or their geography or what time of history it is. And it wasn't like that. This is different. So there's some cultural things about it. Um, Larry Hurtado talks about this in his book, At the Origins of Christian Worship. It's a real thin book, and he talks about what early Christian worship looked like. And if you're interested in that kind of thing, read it, Larry Hurtado, and uh, On the Origins of Christian Worship. I said at, On the Origins of Christian Worship. And he uh, he talks about the holy kiss in there, and I'll, I'll maybe quote from him in just a moment. But the holy... The Holy Kiss command is five other places in the New Testament besides 1 Thessalonians. We, we find it in churches from Ephesus, which is in Turkey, okay, all the way to the letter to Rome. And so when he's writing to uh, Rome, Paul says this very same thing, greet one another with Holy Kiss. And the Ephesus is actually not even Paul, it's Peter. So this isn't like Paul, Paul's thing as they like to see people kiss in church. No, this is something that is a cultural greeting that says... I'm going to treat you like family. That's what it means. Okay? So, so the kiss was normally something that was reserved for the family, okay? even if it's on the mouth. I, I'm sorry, but I do think it's a little weird when families kiss on the mouth. That's just me. Husbands and wives should, but maybe I've gone too far in saying that. <laughs> But it seems a little strange to me, and so you can understand how far distant this seems. Okay, but it's the holy kiss, and when it says holy here, this is motivated purely from family love. Okay, this was a greeting within the families and among close friends, and it shows family intimacy. This is why the betrayal of Judas was so heinous, because he. Betray Jesus with a kiss. Okay, that's that's like something that's reserved for close, intimate fellowship. Jesus saw his followers, though, as more than um, families. And as I'm saying that this is about a family kind of love, we need to understand that we're called to be a spiritual family, and 
a little bit of that has been lost because the church is so huge now. The church with capital C is so huge and global that you can't know every Christian. Some estimates put Christians around one billion in the world. That's amazing. It's the largest religion in all the world. I mean, if you take into account all the different um, classifications of Christians, and not everybody in that that counting is probably 100% devoted to Jesus, but but what I'm saying is that the church is huge, and so we we sometimes can get lost in that, okay, and forget that we're family, and we have really big churches. Like, there's a, a church, I don't know how it's doing now, but in the 90s, there was a church in Seoul, Korea, that had 700,000 people in it. They, um, my pastor went to the International Pentecostal Congress back in the 90s, and he said, he went to that church in uh, Seoul, and he said, on Sunday morning, they had doors on one side, and they would open up the doors, and 100,000 people would come in, and they would get done with the service, they would ring a little bell, doors on the other side, almost like Disney World, and everybody would move out, and a new crowd would move in, and they would repeat that seven times on Sunday. 100,000 people in each service. I, I don't know if you have that res- registers with you. Uh, 100,000 people is like the size of a massive college football stadium. To do that seven times, that's phenomenal. But just in light of that, that's hard to imagine how you could feel like you're part of a family I'm not criticized. They must be doing something right, maybe. But here's the point that I want to make is that what we have in this local fellowship is the church visible. Okay? We have the possibility to live this out right here. Okay? So we can't, we can't decide what's going to happen at other churches, but what we can do is we can say we want to be part of a spiritual family, and so we're here. This is the body that we fellowship with. Doesn't mean you can't fellowship with other Christians at other churches. Surely you should. What I'm saying is that when it comes down to practice, if we've chosen a fellowship here, we're part of this family. This is where, like, you you may have a larger family, and then you have a nuclear family that's like your immediate family that lives in your house. Okay, That's what this is like. So you love your family and understand that this is where a lot of these instructions about how to deal with the family of God plays out is within the local visible body. Okay, Pastor, are you saying i got to kiss these people? No. I'm going to let you off the hook. You might get kissed, but I'm not <laughs> instructing that you might be the one to do it. Um, Jesus saw his followers as a family. Remember one time somebody came to him. They couldn't. His mom... And his brothers couldn't get in because there were so many people around, and some, they sent word in, and they said to Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside. And he says, no, these are my mother, and my brother are those who hear my word and put it into practice. So he said, he defi- begins to divine family in a little bit different way, uh, like a heart family, as Heidi so wonderfully said. It's hard to see how this whole thing of... Uh, kissing one another, greet one another, the holy kiss works in our world. But to be a part of church, you're part of the family. And before you tune me out after all of this, I want to talk to you for a moment about how the Bible works. God inspires a writer who writes within history, right? They've written within history, and they've written in a particular place with a language and a culture that surrounds all of that. And so there are things that are said in the Bible, which are cultural. And those things in and of themselves, they don't bear the same weight, but there's a principle that causes that instruction to be. And so what we need to get at is the principle. So when it's simply cultural, the abiding principle needs to be determined and translated into culture. Here's an example of that is that in the Bible, it talks about the man, uh, the man who stood on the corner and prayed out loud. And then it has the other man who beat his chest and said, I'm a sinner and I'm unworthy. Remember that? Okay. In some cultures, if you beat your chest, it's a sign of defiance and pride. Okay. And so it's not a cultural instruction that you beat your chest because in certain contexts that would be taken the wrong way. The principle is humility and how that's shown in different cultures looks a little differently. And so the holy kiss is a cultural thing. But the greeting and the love that stands behind it is a universal principle. 
that we need to practice. And we need to figure out what that looks like within our cultural context and translate it so that it carries over. And I have some suggestions for you. Okay, so we have to display humility. And here's the principle. Greet one another like a family. It could be, are you ready? A holy hug. Okay, let's start with that. And then it could be a holy handshake. Are you liking that? Or a holy bow. Do you see how those are kind of in descending orders from the most intimate to the furthest away? Um, I think that it's important that we understand that we greet one another and we have love. The really fascinating point to me is that it's hard to have unforgiveness when you greet each other and show kindness. It's hard to be divisive <laughs> when you're kissing somebody. Right? Like you get, you got to get up close and personal. You're shaking somebody's hand and smiling. Hopefully you don't have bad motives behind all of that. But what God wants us to do is to not avoid the body that we connect. And we realize if there's relational problems, we deal with those. And Paul is assuming that, that we're going to deal with our problems. If you want the enemy to get the victory, he can easily defeat the church if he can get us fighting about petty stuff. And we will be tested in this area. I said we're a loving church, but we'll see. If we let unforgiveness grow and fester, it's going to destroy the good thing God wanted to do here. And it will damage our witness because Jesus said, by your love for one another, all the world will know you're my disciples. And so if we don't show love towards one another, nobody wants more fighting. Nobody wants to join our club if we look just like their club. Okay, You understand what I mean by that? that there's something different in the body of Christ when we do this the Jesus way. And it makes a whole lot of difference. And if we allow bitterness to grow up in our heart, we will see it destroy other areas of our lives. You can't keep bitterness hidden. It eventually comes out. Okay. And that not only defeats our witness, it gives the devil a foothold. And once the entrance is made, once the foot's in the door, it starts to topple a whole bunch of different areas. And then he can work on our heart to hate. And he can make resentment take the place of love. What if instead of that, we greeted one another with a holy kiss and we decided we're not going to let our petty differences stand in the way of loving one another? Wouldn't that be a kind of different world we need relationships. The church is not the church because it has a name on the building or a cross. It's not the church just because we gather. People are gathering for football today. They're not the church. Okay, The church is the church because we have a relationship with Christ, and through that, we're brothers and sisters in the family of God. So we've been joined through Jesus. Okay? So... All right, we need to, uh, we need to, sorry, I've got to look back at my earlier note. What was the first one? What was it? Pray, and then love, and then read. Okay, look at this next instruction here. I'll get through this as quick as I can, so we don't want to just be long for long's sake, but look at what it says here. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. I charge you before the Lord, before the Lord. Not everyone likes to read. I'm amazed at that. I like to read. Uh, but I do understand why people don't like to read. And people have made it, uh, some people have made it to be the doorway to the kingdom. And it just isn't that, not reading. Uh, the Bible is the Bible is gives us access to the kingdom through Jesus because it gives us the knowledge we need. But reading doesn't open every door that we'd like it to. Um, but it can open up depths that you wouldn't find on TikTok or TV. Right? This isn't really about reading in general. But let me make uh, take a minute here to share some insights since study is a big part of what I do. I found that reading is a discipline that is either grows or it shrinks. If you use it, it grows. If you don't, it shrinks. Just like working out. You're working out your mind. Okay, when you read, it takes, 
a certain amount of concentration to carry the meaning at the beginning of a sentence all the way to the end of the sentence. In addition, you carry that thought all the way to the end of the paragraph and that theme all the way to the end of the book. And that takes a certain amount of mental strain. And that's why some people don't like to read. It's because it's easier to sit passively and watch TV. And active is a reading activity. Uh, Reading is an active activity. What did I say? Reading is an active, whatever it was, uh, Tom, let's go back and erase that part of the message and put the right one in. Okay, it's, a, it's, an, it's an active activity. Sounds ridiculous to say that, but that's what it is. And so um, here's a couple just tidbits that I think will help us, is that reading gets easier the more you do it. Okay, And then there's another secret, that it gets more enjoyable the more you do it. Okay, uh, Have you ever... I've seen a movie that was from a book, and somebody says, the book is so much better. Anybody? Okay, I know you're annoyed by that. Sometimes that gets annoying because you know you can't anticipate that somebody's going to say it. But there's truth in it because what a director has narrowed down to his vision would look different if it were your vision of what they're saying. And so there's something else that can be done and a great, rich uh, transport that happens as we read, okay? By it, uh, by reading, you can go into other places and other cultures and experience things vicariously through other people. And I'm not so certain that this isn't the reason God gives us a book. You're transported back to an ancient culture in a place where God is in the center of the imagination, okay? And it's not a fictional book. It's true. It's that we happen to live in the fantasy now, and we need to turn, return again and again to reality by going back to the book and hearing its message. And it draws our imagination up into a God-centered world. And that's exactly what we need. I think it's one of the, the joys of reading. Um, okay. Uh, I charge you, sounds like this letter is, this uh, challenge is to a carrier or the pastor is being told to make sure that everybody hears this, but there's two reasons why this isn't the case. This command is for everyone. When he says, I charge you, he, Paul is saying to all of the Thessalonian church, I charge all of you that this letter be read in the presence of all of you. Okay? So he's saying there's a responsibility we have to make sure we're talking about biblical things and we're understanding what God's revealed will will is on this. And the two reasons are in verse 25, he, the address that introduces these couple verses is brothers and sisters, plural. It's all of you. It's not hey, brother or hey, pastor, brothers and sisters, all of you. This is for you. And the second reason is, is because when it says, I charge you, we don't see it in English because we have the second person, singular and plural, is both you. So sometimes we miss it when it's saying you. It's not saying you singular. It's saying all of you, y'all, if you're from the South. Y'all, I'm telling you that this one, I charge y'all that this letter be read amongst y'all. Okay? So the charge here, charge means to give someone a responsibility before God. Okay? It's, it's like putting somebody under oath. or In other words, this is your God-given responsibility to understand this letter that Paul is writing, that we understand it together. So... Then it leads me to this. Is Paul just making this up? He's telling them, this letter that I've written, we could view it this way, is so important, make sure everybody hears it. Okay, It's not like that. It's, you know, we might think, is Paul making this up? I've written a really important letter, and I want everybody to read it because I'm an apostle, and if you don't read it, um, everyone, God will be angry. And I think that looks at it the wrong way. It's God who inspired this letter. It's God that moved upon Paul to write this letter. And because it's from God, then it needs to be read. And so the one puts the emphasis in the wrong origin that Paul wrote it. Paul is simply saying these instructions are from God, and so they're important. And that you all be responsible, that everybody makes sure they've heard what's said here. Okay. Have this letter read to the brothers and sisters. And what I think um, he's wanting to communicate here, because he doesn't say all the brothers and sisters should read this letter. Did you hear that? This is more of a passive thing. This is more of a make sure your job is to actively make sure everybody's heard. Okay, 
Not that everybody has to read it. It's good that we all read our Bibles, but there, we also need to come together and we need to get on the same page and hear the Bible expounded and read together. Sometimes we need to just read it. We don't even need to make comments on it. We just need to hear what it says. Not just personally, but collectively. Okay? And so have this letter read. And he's wanting to communicate. So how should we do this? I don't want to... I don't want you to have to sign in when you come into church every week and say, have you read your Bible? And if you hadn't, (laughs) we're going to put your name up on the screen. These are the people that didn't read their Bible this week. We're not going to do that. Um, But I think a better approach is this. Let me mention four things. This is all part of that last point. First is we need to preach and teach the Bible when we're together. Okay, we're not here to tell stories. I'm not a great storyteller have a hard time thinking of illustrations. That why, that's why when I thought of the computer and the wall and the bowling thing, it was like this wellspring of illustrations came, and I just had to use them all. So it's not about just getting up and telling stories and entertaining. The point of sitting and hearing the Word of God is that we need to hear what God's instruction says. Okay, So we want to take that in. We need to hear it preached and taught. And then the second thing is we need to talk about the Word of God. We need to talk about it in our homes. Parents and children need to talk about it. We need to talk about it with one another, what the Bible, what we're learning, what the Bible's teaching us. I think parents have a um, divine charge to teach their children. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 tells us that. And then the third thing is we need to encourage one another and share what we're reading. That's part of that previous one, but we need to encourage one another and share what we're reading from the Bible, and then we can get excited about what God's teaching us. And then we need to challenge those that we're close to about reading the Bible. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't want this thing to develop where we have, like, the Gestapo running around asking people, have you read your Bible? No, I didn't get to it this morning. Let me pray for you, and let's do it right in front of everybody. We don't want that. What we do need to say is, man, I've been reading this in the Bible. What have you been reading? That's a great place to start. And then we can challenge one another because we need, we need to read our Bible. Hearing God's Word is easier than ever before. Did you know that? You can have a little electronic guy, or if you're egalitarian, you can find a little electronic lady to read your Bible to you. After all, the command is to make sure everybody hears it. Not everybody could read in Paul's day. And I know you've heard this from me before, but let, let me remind you what a precious gift it is to be literate. You've learned the complicated technique of turning symbols on any object into concepts in your brain. And so it's huge if we can realize that when when we were going to learn what a big thing this was, it probably would have scared us at the start. And now you can't help reading words. Has anybody noticed that? Like if you see something, you automatically read it. Exit. Yes, I wish he'd get the point. Let's get done with this. You can see these words. You can't help but read and understand what their meaning is once you get the clue. And if you're like me, you can even find yourself reading out loud without thinking about it. Signs as you go past. There was an old movie with uh, an old dad that just used to read the signs when he'd go past. Toyona. He'd look at the sign as it goes past and read it out loud. We can't help but do that because we... And we do it without thinking about it. Someone agree with me that the highest use of our literacy is reading not food labels or documents at work. Its greatest use is seeing words transformed into spiritual reality. Do you agree? We can see that in our Bibles. Augustine was converted to Christ when he saw a Bible in the courtyard and the Spirit told him, take up and read. And he read And he gave his life to Christ, and he was transformed, and so was Western history. Somebody said the most important figure after the Apostle Paul was Augustine. Some would dispute and say maybe Martin Luther or another of the Reformers, but it shifted Western civilization because somebody took up and read the Word that a whole culture and a stream of culture could be changed. There's power in it. And knowledge that will change you and a way for God to tangle with your heart because our heart needs grappling with. 
true? Have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. So we're responsible to see that these instructions from the Lord are read. We've, we've reached the end of the letter. Aren't you glad for that? A young church in a difficult circumstance, and they've really shown resilience and real genuine conversion. They're characterized by faith, hope, and love within the first year of their existence. And what they got were here in this letter that we've read through are some practical instructions. And this isn't a letter of deep theology, okay? like Romans or Ephesians. Mostly these are instructions about what to do uh, as you live for God in the world, waiting for the coming of Christ. So you could summarize this letter in four quick things. One, increase in love. You're to increase in love, not be settled with where you are because our love is not all pure. Sometimes there's mixed motives in it. And so what God wants to do is purify his love working through us. Not His, lo- not that his love needs purified, but our love. Well, my friend Tim Enlow says um, that sometimes he uses the illustration of hose water. Anybody drank out of a hose before? And like at first you get that hose taste. Oh, summer. I know you're already longing for summer when you can drink out of the <laughs> water hose. But at first it tastes like the hose. And then if you let water continue to run through it, it washes all that away, and it can be pretty good. Okay, And so what needs to happen is for us, in a sense, to be flushed out. Sorry for the terrible metaphor, but we need, we need, we need, uh, we need God to work through us, and so there's a purity that his love can freely flow through us to other people. And so we want to increase in love. We need to, number two, keep the faith. Okay, there's a faith that's there, and we need to persist in it. And we need to live in hope. And by live in hope, I don't just mean that we have a better attitude. I mean that hope directs the things that we do and how we live. Not only our attitudes, but our actions. We live in a certain way because Jesus is coming back. Living in hope. We have hope, and that determines how we live. And then to lead holy lives. Those are the four instructions. Increase in love, keep the faith, live in hope, lead holy lives. This letter is saying the same thing to us as it was saying to them 2,000 years ago. Let me close with this, the the final verse of this uh, passage here, verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Okay. Uh, this is a This is a blessing. And as I understand blessings, there's some there's something a little bit mystical about blessings that maybe we can't exactly put our finger on. But if I'm to break it down practically, a blessing is one part prayer for well-being and one part reminder. One part prayer and one part reminder. Okay, the prayer part, the part that is prayer, calls upon God to bring it about. Okay, so when you're saying, "May the grace be with you," is Paul really in a divinely passive, he's using a divine passive here, that though God's not mentioned, God's the one bringing his grace into your situation, okay? The grace of, may God bring the grace of God into your situation. That's the prayer part. The reminder part, you can see this, I think this is probably true through any of the blessings you read, is the reminder part brings attention to the fact or to the life and calling that we live under God's care, okay? So we're being blessed as a prayer here, he's blessing them as a prayer, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But they also need to remember as they go forth in life that God's grace is with them. What is God's grace? God's grace is his ability to meet any need. Yeah, there's a narrow focus in which it's grace for salvation, but grace is not just saving grace. It's also sanctifying grace. It's also sustaining grace. It's also spiritual gift grace. The, gra- the spiritual gifts are grace gifts. Did you know that? The charismata are grace gifts. All of this goes back to God's enabling presence in our lives. That's what does it. And so when he's praying this prayer, he's blessing them and saying, okay, I'm praying that you'll come to realize in a more full way how much God is with you and that your lives are lived according to that, that we pray that we love, that we read as a result of what God has done. Amen? Hey, thanks for your gracious attention. Let's stand together. I thought, I think probably the most obvious thing we can do now 
is just invite you, if you need prayer, to come. This uh, little square right here under this light, pretty close to this light, is the prayer square. And if you need prayer this morning, you want somebody to pray for you, would you come and stand somewhere in approximate with that, and myself or somebody else will come pray with you. Um, we need love. We need a, um, a more purified love. And greet one another with a holy kiss is just a reminder that sometimes we let things get in the way of that. And maybe we need to deal with some stuff in our hearts so that we can do that. We can do that with sincerity and not, not be fake, not be like a Judas who is actually killing with a kiss. Okay? We want to be the kind of people that, that flows from a pure heart. Okay? And then um, maybe reading, you know, that we want to say, God, I want to understand your word better. Here's the cool thing, and I'll, I can tell you this, after having been in ministry for 28 years now, youth ministry first and then ministry here as a pastor, the Bible gets better the more you read it. It's not that it gets better. Our understanding and awareness of it gets better, and it's richer. We come to discover the depths of what's going on there, and it's wonderful. But if we just stop at the surface level, we'll never get to those beautiful depths. Okay? So maybe we need to say to the Lord today, I want to be open in a, a better, better way to your word. I want to be hungry for your word. I want you to translate those, those words that you've spoken into living in my life. And so you want to respond to that. If you've never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior today, you can do that. Our skit earlier was demonstrating the fall that happened because we followed a rebellion. Okay, and we all are guilty of that. But Jesus came back to restore what the, what the rebel had given away. He came to defeat the enemy and to bring us into right relationship with God. He did that through Jesus. It's beautiful. And so you can do that. You've, you've lived away from God. The Bible says we all have. And we need to come to him in repentance and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a rebel, a sinner. And Jesus responds to humble prayers like that. And he'll bring us into relationship with himself. And you could just simply pray that prayer. Be merciful to me, a sinner, for Jesus' sake. And, and God will do something in your heart. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.